Hey, praise the Lord. Thank you very much. It's just a great honor to get to be back here. Thank you so much, Pastor Chris and Nancy, and, and then great to have uh, Pastor Sonny and Susan here as well and see you guys. Thank you so much for the work that you've done here uh, at Southwest Harvest all these years. You, you did good, man. You, you passed this thing off to a great guy. I mean, I got I to gotta give you a thumbs up on that for sure. Um, we're, thank you for your kind words. Uh, Chris, it's always a joy to get to do ministry with people that you love, and it's always a joy to get to love your family. And so that's nice. I know not everybody loves their family, but I love mine, and they love me. And so that's a, that's a good deal. Um, I am here uh, with a lot of members from my family, and uh, we have the opportunity to work together in Connect Global. And uh, so I'll share some of them with you right now. This is my beautiful wife. My wife and I are newlyweds. I don't know if you guys know that or not. Today's our anniversary. Let's see, today we've been married 23 years, 10 months, and 11 days. So we're still getting to know each other. And she's amazing. And then we have one son, Noah, who's sitting up here with uh, Pastor Chris. He's awesome. He runs security detail for our team. He's two and a half years studying uh, Shudokan Karate. And uh, just stay on his good side, I'll tell you that much, because he'll, he'll put a hurt on you. And uh, this is our co-founders at Connect Global. This is uh, Javier Mendoza and his wife, Danielle, and their daughter, Sage. I like to say Javier's been with me since he was nine. I've actually known him since he was nine. I was 19. He's my wife's youngest brother. So we've been family for a long time and then started Connect Global a little over seven years ago. And then also, it's a great joy to have Mimi. This is my mom, Betty Moffitt. She's an amazing preacher, minister of the gospel, travels in prisons all over the world. Her and my father's in Odessa today preaching there. And uh, they've been traveling and ministering in prisons now for 40 years. This is their 40th anniversary this year in prison ministry. Uh, so yes, absolutely. Let's just celebrate them. I, I want to just give you a brief announcement and just kind of a brief update on the ministry because I'm really just kind of chomping at the bit to get into what the Lord has laid on my heart this morning. Um, but as Pastor Chris mentioned, we were here a little over a year ago and shared some things with you guys. And even before that, I had come in one day just to visit and Lucky, wherever he's at, he sneaks in and out of here. He's like a ninja, man. Anyway, Lucky had started prophesying over me the first time I ever came here, first time we ever met. And what he didn't know is it was the exact same message that a man, another pastor in, a, in a Louisiana had prophesied over us just a few weeks before. They don't even know each other. And it has to do with some of the work that's going on in Honduras. Uh, we've got a lot of things going on right now. We build aquaponic systems. We were just in Honduras about three weeks ago uh, doing a large pastor's conference and minister's conference there. We have a team today in Venezuela uh, teaching church planning and how to develop aquaponics. And they'll be building two or three aquaponic systems. An aquaponic system is a, is a food production system uh, where you could put it in a home or a church or a school or an orphanage, things like that, and allows people to grow uh, protein-rich fish and nutrient-rich vegetables, and so we're very glad to do that. Uh, we have under construction right now a 20-plus bed maternity house at a very busy hospital uh, in Honduras. Uh, we're very excited about this project. You know, the Bible says that the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous, and, uh, you know, sometimes uh, God just has an amazing way of moving finances from outside of the kingdom of God to inside of the kingdom of God. So long story short, we had raised about $134,000 towards this $210,000 project. And then the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers showed up and said, we're just going to build the whole building for you. And so praise God. I'm not saying the U.S. Army is wicked, but God just has a way of moving kings and presidents and armies around. 
And all the things that we do in, in Honduras and Cuba and Pakistan and all the nations that we've been to, those three nations are kind of our main areas of focus with Honduras really being the core of that focus. We've been working in Honduras now for the last 14 years. Entonces yo dice siempre, yo soy el gringo mi cuerpo, pero puro latino mi corazón. I say all the time I'm an American in my body, but I'm, I'm Latino, I'm Honduran in my heart. And we just have a great love for the peoples of Honduras and Latin America. But our heart and our passion is to raise up missionaries from the Latin community, from, from the Latin world here in the United States, Central America, South America, Spain, Portugal, to send as missionaries into other nations around the world. And all my Latino brothers and sisters said, amen, with gritas. Come on, man. Listen, there's a divine destiny that's placed on the Latin peoples of the world to reach into the, the nations of the world, especially into the Arabic nations, as missionaries. If you're here and you eat tortillas and your abuelita used to spank you, then you understand God's got a call on your life. And he's raising up a Latino army to send to all the nations of the world. And we thank God every single day that he allows us to get to be a part of that. So please pray God has shown us property. We're working towards the acquisition of this property in, in a miraculous way um, that I just don't even have the time to explain to you this morning. We have a table set up in the back. You can come and I'll tell you the whole story if you want. But I mean, God has just supernaturally guided us to this property. Uh, there's been a divine acceleration in the last couple of months towards this and we know in the very near future uh, we will own this property and it will be used as a school of missions to prepare pastors to send missionaries out and to prepare church members to be raised up as cross-cultural missionaries to be sent out into the nations of the world amen can you see this it's great please pray with us about this uh, we'll be back in Honduras. This will be our fifth international trip uh, this year, our fourth, fourth year of this trip to Honduras. We were also in Cuba a few months ago. We'll be back in Honduras in about a week and a half building a water well. Or it's be our second water well project there. And we're very excited about that, just to reach into this community with some clean water. Gives us a great opportunity for sharing the gospel. Amen? All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over to the book of Genesis. If you're not familiar with your Bible, it's all the way at the front. You should... If you're not familiar with your Bible, you should get familiar with your Bible, but turn to the book of Genesis chapter 42. You know, as, a, as an itinerant traveling speaker, you kind of write one message and then you just preach that for about 12 months because you're not ever in the same place. And uh, so it makes it kind of easy, quite frankly. You know, being a pastor, I think it's a tough preaching job. Um, but this is not the message I've been preaching, what I'm going to share with you this morning. In fact, uh, as I was getting ready for this, uh, I really felt like the Lord kind of led me in a different direction. I talked through this Friday at lunch with, with Pastor Chris. Because today, God really wants to do something very special with the people of Southwest Harvest Church. He wants to set some people free this morning. He wants to unburden some people this morning. And he wants to help some people make a turn and make a transition. If, you're, if you have the faith for that, if you can hear that in your spirit, then I want us to go together on a little bit of a journey. I want to walk you through a couple of stories, one from my own life and some from the Bible, and present to you some ideas that I think will help liberate yourself and put some tools in your hands to liberate people around you. Are you okay with that? 
All right, let's stand together as we read the Word of God. We're in Genesis chapter 42. I know that's a little old school, but I, I think it's important that we honor the Word of the Lord, especially as, as He is getting ready to impart something in us, let us be ready to receive it. Genesis chapter 42 and verse 21 says, Then they said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear it. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Let's pray. Father, you're so good and you're so kind to us. You are the best, Father. And we acknowledge your presence here this morning. We acknowledge you in this house. As, a, as the man sang a moment ago, God, this is nothing if you don't show up. We don't imply that you're not here, God. In fact, we acknowledge that you are. We acknowledge you, Holy Spirit. And I ask you that you would teach us this morning to be reconciled to you and to be reconcilers. In the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. You can be seated. When I was about 15 or 16 years old, I guess I had to be 15, I wasn't driving yet. My parents uh, lived in central Georgia and they were busy. They pastored a church. They were uh, leading this prison ministry and they had a residential drug and alcohol rehab program all on the same property out in the sticks, man. I mean, this was in the country. And it was a great place if you were a kid because there was a couple of fishing ponds on it and you could deer hunt out there for free. It was wonderful. And I was in town one evening hanging out with a friend and I had him drop me off there. My uncle lived there on site and ran the drug and alcohol program. And it was summertime. I didn't have to be in school, so I'm fishing, right? I mean, that's, you know, that's the best place to be anyway is fishing, certainly when it's summertime. And amen, right? And so... Uh, and so I had my friend drop me off there at, this, at, this, uh, at the facility. Offices in the front, church in the middle, residential program in the back. Uncle's house sits right over there to the side. My friend drives me up the gravel road, you know, a good quarter mile up the gravel road. I'm out there in the, in the woods, and he drops me off and leaves. I walk right over to my uncle's house, and I turn the knob on the door, and it was locked. I knock on the door, no one comes to answer. Okay, that's no problem. Maybe they're, they're over here inside in the kitchen. So I walk over to kind of the residential facility. It was a two-story building. Go to the downstairs area where there was a little kitchen and uh, uh, go to open that door, and it was locked. I said, well, that's okay. Maybe they're upstairs in the dormitories where, where the men lived. Maybe my uncle is up there, you know, ministering the word of the Lord to these guys, you know, or playing poker or whatever they're doing. So I go up the stairs, right? To the, to the dormitory room, and I go to reach for that door, and I turn the knob, and it's, it's locked. I turn around, and I see the sun setting over behind the pine trees, behind the Georgia pine trees, faster than it's ever set before. I mean, the sucker's racing to the ground. And all of a sudden, I was stricken with a terror like I have never felt before in all of my young 15 years of life. Man, I was absolutely petrified, you know, got to go change your pants, kind of petrified. I'm, I mean, I'm tripping, man. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is a bad deal. 
Now listen, I was not afraid because I was out in the sticks in the woods all by myself. I was not concerned about getting, you know, attacked by, a, by some mutated spider or a rattlesnake or a grizzly bear. But I was absolutely 100% to my toes terrified that Jesus had returned and I had missed the rapture. <laughs> that he was on his way in a golden chariot with my, with my uncle and all of these ex-alcoholics and drug addicts to heaven and that he had missed one. Man, I dropped to my knees and I started praying, oh God, you need to make a U-turn. I started repenting for sins I hadn't even committed yet, Pastor. It's you laugh today. I was not laughing. I was not laughing. It might have been at least 60 seconds till my uncle came driving up that driveway, but it felt like an eternity. I was plagued by a sense of guilt and condemnation that was stricken my soul with such a terror. This is, this is the verse we just read. Joseph's brothers. We're, 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 you, you guys know the story of Joseph, right? He was, he was, uh, his brothers wanted to kill him. They threw him in a pit. They sold him as a slave. He was wrongfully convicted and sent to prison. Then he became the number two guy in all of Egypt. And we love that story. It's a fantastic story. But we ignore the story that's going on sometimes with his brothers. What must his brothers have been feeling? What, what must Simeon have been feeling when he, when he took his, his own little brother by the neck and threw him down into that pit? When they stripped his robe off of him and, and tore it and smeared blood all, all over it. Then, hey, let's drop a rope in there. Let's pull him out of the pit only to sell him into slavery. Never to see him again. Then, then Chad and Reuben and Judah, they return home with this robe and they give it to their father who assumes that Joseph, his favorite child, is dead. And these ten boys sit back and watch their father grieve the loss of his son knowing full well it was a lie. The, the Bible says that, that they would come to, to, to their father and try to comfort him, but he would not be comforted. They lived every single day in the presence of the results of their sins. Their actions, their guilt was ever present before them. I think so much so that Judah leaves his house. You get to the next chapter in Genesis of the story. Judah says, I'm out of here, man. I wonder if you know anybody who in their life is, is plagued by guilt. This is where the brothers are at. You fast forward 22 years. And now there's a famine in the land, right? There's a famine in all of Egypt. There's a famine in all of the region outside of Egypt. And so their father says, I've heard there's food in Egypt. Why don't you go there and buy some food? And so the ten brothers, they, they get some silver, they pack up their donkeys, they travel to Egypt. And when they come in the room, the Bible says that Joseph, now in charge of the food, immediately recognized his brothers. But his brothers did not recognize him. That's a tricky story. You read this thing, it reads like a soap opera. I don't know if none of you guys ever watch soap operas, but 
This is a gritty story, man. And Joseph spends some time harassing his brothers. He spends some time messing with them. He comes to a point of, of forgiveness eventually, but look at the brothers' response. They don't know that they're dealing with Joseph. They don't know that they're in the middle of a redemption story. They, 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 they know that, that a high-ranking Egyptian official is messing with them, torturing them, picking on them, throwing them in prison. And they say, what do they say? This trouble that we have today is a result of our guilt from our transgressions from 22 years in the past. Are you kidding me? They are living in this moment 22 years ago when they threw their brother into the pit. They're, 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 they're stuck in that moment when they, when they cheated on their taxes or when they cheated on a test at school or they cheated on their wife or they, whatever they did. They're living stuck in that moment. And they've, they've fast-forwarded. They've gone through life two decades, over two decades later, and they're still stuck in the same moment 22 years in the past reliving that guilt over and over and over. Man, I had a flat tire on my way to work today. It must have been because of what I did when I was in high school. We only laugh because it's uncomfortably true. My boss, you know, is, is having issues with me. He cut my pay. He fired me. Well, it's because of that thing. You remember that thing. We'll help each other with this, right? Well, you get what you deserve. You're, you're, you, we even use the Bible a little bit. You know, you're just reaping what you sow. You remember when you, you, remember when you cheated that guy? Now... It's 47 and a half years later, but finally karma is coming back around. Lady Justice, blind Lady Justice. She's blind, but she can see into the future. Do you know anybody like this? You have people in your life that it's like every single trouble is, oh, woe is me. It's because I deserve it. It's because of what I've done. It's because of my own guilt. I've heaped all this trouble upon myself. We say things like, you know, there's grace, but we have consequences. These brothers, when they were confronted with challenges and obstacles and stress, they replied, they responded with detachment, with bad decisions, with self-destructive behavior, and perpetuated a prolonged sense of guilt for 22 years years do you know anybody in your life who's living with the guilt of the past you leave here this is Sunday tomorrow you're gonna go to work you're gonna sit down next to your co-worker and they're gonna tell you their their exploits from the weekend maybe some troubling things that have happened in their life oh you know I got a call my mom's sick Maybe it's because, maybe it's because I wasn't nice enough to her when I was a kid. Maybe it's because of my own sin, my own transgressions. Maybe it's because the problems that I'm facing today is because of the sin that I've sown in the past. See, guilt can, can be sometimes a good emotion, a good feeling. When we've wronged somebody and we have a sense of, of guilt, of, of I've wronged them, it, it lets us know, hey, we need to go make it right. 
We need to go to that person. We need to talk to that person. We need to apologize. We need to reconcile with that person. Maybe that's another human. Maybe that's with God. But when that, that, that sense of guilt is unresolved and it's left in our lives, it can plague us like a reoccurring chronic illness. And if we ourselves are not willing to let go of it, we'll take the grace of the cross and pour it down our throat like a cough medicine, never really dealing with the root issue of the influenza in our own soul. How does it affect us? Prolonged, a prolonged sense of guilt can affect your concentration. Did you know that studies show that if you're dealing with a prolonged sense of guilt, that it can weaken your concentration, your productivity, your creativity, and your effectiveness. You have these, you have these people like this at work. You know, they're supposed to be carrying their, their load of the work. And you always wonder why they never get their job done and why they always feel so bad about themselves. Why they're always hearkening back to some yesteryear mistake, some football they didn't catch right at the line. Or... Studies show that a prolonged sense of guilt can cause us to be reluctant to enjoy life. They did a study on college students. They took, a, they took a, a survey group and they got half of them to feel guilty and half of them to not feel guilty. And then they offered them all a bunch of free gifts. And the college students who didn't feel guilty, they all got, you know, DVD movies and music downloads. And the college students who felt guilty all got school supplies. That's what they chose on their own because I can't enjoy life. I don't deserve it. I don't really deserve anything good because if you knew how bad I was, you'd probably go ahead and whip me as well. I can't enjoy the blessings of God because I don't deserve them. Some people prolong guilt, leads them into self-destructive or self-punishing type behavior. In Proverbs uh, 2817 even, it says, a man burdened with bloodshed will flee into a pit. He'll drive himself into the pit. Again, another study on college students. Sorry, all you college students. We've all been picking on you like lab rats. Group of college students made to feel guilty for cheating their fellow college students out of a lottery ticket were willing to subject themselves to electrical shock to show their remorse. We say, oh, I would never do that. I would never do anything like that. But we'll medicate. We'll medicate our guilt with drugs, alcohol, with anything to just not have to, to feel guilty anymore for that thing from 22 years ago. We'll make choices and decisions, bad business decisions, bad family decisions. Self-destructive behavior will sabotage our own success. Because I deserve this level of punishment. Avoidance. You've hurt somebody. I can't, I can't, I can't go to dinner with them. I can't see them. I know we once had a relationship, but I, I hurt them. I betrayed them. I tricked them. I used to go to that church. I loved that church. And they gave the thing to Chris, and I started talking bad about him. I can't go there again. I can't show my face around there again. I mean, not, I mean that's a different Chris at a different church. I'm sorry. Come on, man. <laughs> you know some people like this. They won't come around you anymore. 
because they borrowed your lawnmower and they haven't given it back in 22 years. You thought it was because you couldn't cook good, but it's because they think they've offended you. Judah left his own house. Or people with a prolonged sense of guilt can assume more offense than what they've actually caused. I've hurt her, and so I've hurt all of you. All of your problems are my fault. Okay, you know people like this, they take on the burden of everything, or, or it even affects your self-image. Studies have shown that people with a prolonged sense of guilt harshly overestimate their own weight and, and, and also harshly exercise the amount of effort it takes for any physical activity because they, they change the view of themselves. See, if I've hurt somebody, I must be bad. There must be something wrong with me. I must have a problem. There must be some issue with me at the deepest root level. Have you, ever, have you ever met somebody like this? If you haven't, then get out of the church and go meet somebody because I can promise you that most of the world around us and even some of the people sitting next to you are dealing with some issue, something that's plaguing their mind from 15, 18, 22 years ago that if I could just let that go, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have to feel so horrible about myself. So I'm going to give you this morning a tool. I want to put something in your hands for healing the people around you, whether in Duncanville or San Antonio. God bless you guys for what you're doing. I love the faith that you just expressed. Because there's a world around us that's trying to deal with guilt on their own. And we all know how well that works out. Turn in your Bibles over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 real quick i got to pick up my pace a little bit, don't I? Chris said, you guys usually go till about 2 o'clock. And I said, look, Chris, uh, you know, these guys, they loved me last time I was here. I'm going to be succinct this time. Nobody likes that long-winded preacher. <clears throat> Amen. Glory to God. Javier's been helping me out a lot because he's 10 years younger. He's like, man, people only listen to you about 20 minutes, bro. I don't care how good it is. I said, all right, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to read from verse 16 to 21. Let's talk about healing people with a prolonged sense of guilt. You understand where we're at? You guys with me? Come on, give me some amen or some gritas or something. Throw a tortilla up here or something, man. Uh, okay, it starts first of all with transformation, your transformation and my transformation. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21 says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we regard him this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, how many of you here today are in Christ? You have given your heart and life to Jesus. If you haven't, we'll do that in a minute. But if you have, it says he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, I just read the Bible quite literally. I think that when the Bible says that when I received Christ, I became a new creation, that it means when I received Christ, I became a new creation. I don't know that I can explain it to you any more than this. I believe that our spirits, when we are born, we were created in the image of God. Sometimes we walk around saying, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's not true. God did not create you as a sinner. 
He created you in the image of God, and your spirit was then born under a curse, under death material, curse, cursed material. And when you were saved, that spirit was already dead, and it went away, and you got a new spirit made out of living and blessed material. Yeah, you can praise God for that. I didn't have anything to do with that. Now, all things, okay, let's see. And all things have become new. And now, all things are of God who was what? You guys are reading this. You got your Bibles, right? I know you guys all got it on your phone, man. Turn them roadblocks off and, and read your Bible right now for a minute. And you can play, you know, your game in a minute. Who was reconciling the world to himself? How? What does it say? No, I mean, don't miss it. Did I miss it? Who was reconciling us to himself through Jesus Christ and was giving us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. How? Not imputing their trespasses to them. Or in the NIV it says, not counting men's sins against them. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation now then we are ambassadors for christ as though god were pleading through us we implore you on christ's behalf be reconciled to god for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of god in him you are an entirely new creation transformed into something brand new and blessed. And furthermore, he has given you authority as an ambassador. You guys know what an ambassador is, right? We live in the United States. I work in the nation of Honduras. I was in Cuba earlier this year. I've had opportunity to preach a few times electronically into the nation of Pakistan. The United States has an ambassador that would go to the nation of Honduras. That ambassador represents the United States of America. When that ambassador shows up in Honduras, he conducts business. He conducts business. He conducts business on behalf of the United States of America with the entire nation of Honduras. The Bible says that you, before you're Collins or Moffat or Gutierrez or Canancer, you are a Christian. That means that you represent a kingdom that is ruled by a Christ named Jesus. And he puts you on this earth like it's a foreign country so that you would represent his kingdom. So when you're here and you conduct business, you conduct business on this earth you're representing the king of the universe and the kingdom of heaven what the man say a minute ago we need to speak things into existence what is that that's doing kingdom business you don't represent yourself you're not here representing your mama you're not even here representing this church you're not here representing the great nation of Texas or the United States of America. You can put all those flags away and start waving your Jesus flag because you're here to do business for your king. Now watch this. If the, if the ambassador from the United States goes to Honduras and does some business and then there's a violation of the treaty, who shows up? The military of the United States of America and all of its might will show up 
to enforce the business. You guys tracking with me? So when you come into this world and you conduct business and there's a violation of the treaty, then there's a big army in heaven that shows up to enforce the business that you spoke into existence. When you said, be healed, when you said, Jesus is king, when you said, Jesus forgives your sins, there's a Holy Spirit and a holy army that enforces the business. So what kind of business does your king want you to be about? Oh, he wants me to be about the youth group, man. That's what I'm talking about. He wants me to be about a children's ministry. He wants me to be about singing for the Lord. No. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't, doesn't call us to different ministries. We might have different roles and different functions, but we have all of us in this room been called to the exact same ministry. Every single one of us. What are you talking about? The Bible, we just read it. You have been given the ministry of Oh, you guys are quick, man. I knew I loved this congregation. You've been called to the ministry of reconciliation, which is what? Not counting men's sins against them. We've been each called to the same ministry. Now, not in this house, but in some other houses where I've been, everybody carries a little, a little bag of rocks on their, on their hip, Right? And, and, and so we look around and we say, well, there's a convict. Bah, let me throw a rock at him. Well, there's a man who's gay. I'm going to throw a rock at him. Bah, well, there's an alcoholic. Let me throw a rock at him. Boom. Let me sit down with you so that I can count your sins. You must be a Democrat. You must be a Republican. I'll split the church right there, man. You start talking politics. Listen. What, what if, what if we did not count men's sins against them? What if we practice the ministry of reconciliation? I know, I know, we don't want to clap for that. Listen, let me give you an example. Flip over to the book of Mark, chapter 2. We're going to shift up a gear here and try to move through this a little faster because I want to bring you to a point here. Reconciliation is the business of the kingdom. Reconciliation is the business of the kingdom. That is the business our king is in. That is what his kingdom is about. And that's what you and I are ambassadors of. We are ambassadors of heaven, of reconciliation. Book of Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. You guys ready? And again, he, that's Jesus, entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. He's over at Chris Gutierrez's house. Everybody hears about it, right? All of Duncanville shows up. Immediately, many gathered together, so there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. He was probably preaching about reconciliation. Then he came, then they came to him bringing a paralytic man who was carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they tore a big hole in Pastor Chris's roof. 
Pastor Chris was not very excited about that. But nevertheless, Jesus is up in his house. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Man, how'd you get these people to tear a hole in Pastor Chris's roof? That's not what he said. He said, Son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes, and when you read this story in Luke, it says the scribes and the Pharisees were sitting there and reasoning in their minds, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Have you ever heard this? Have you ever thought this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? The scribes and the Pharisees were the other ones other than ourselves, not any of you guys, but in some other churches, in some other places, are the only people who've ever thought this. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Interesting. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were reasoning this within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which would be the easier miracle? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk? But so that you would know that the Son of Man, and that phrase here is translated in the original Greek as the child of a human. Are your parents human? I know you didn't think so when you were growing up. Mom said that third eye thing in the back of her head, you thought she was from Pluto or something. How's a woman got an eye in the back of her head? But your mom was a human and your dad was a human and Jesus says so that you would know that the child of a human. How many of you are children of humans? And y'all don't even want to own this right now. How many of y'all are children of human beings and you love Jesus? You, you like that part. I'm still not sure if my daddy was a human. He could whoop me like a Martian. I don't know what was going on with that, man. So that you would know that the child of a human has power on earth to forgive sins. Did y'all follow that? He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. He said, the easier miracle is to forgive sins and the harder miracle is to raise this guy off his mat. But so that you know that the child of a human can do this easier thing, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up like a street taco in this harder thing. And we're going to go ahead and do both. Immediately, the guy rose up, took his bed, and went out in the presence of all of them. So they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we ain't seen anything like this before. What was it that they had not seen before? A miracle? Had they not seen a miracle before? No. Why do you think all those people were in Chris Gutierrez's house? Because they knew Jesus was there and they knew Jesus did miracles. That was not the thing they had never seen before. The thing they had never seen before was somebody receiving and subsequently using the authority of God to forgive sins. They said, I've never seen anything like that before. And it was the Pharisee. How many of you guys want to be Pharisees? We're going to do a Pharisee class after church. I want everybody to sign up. It's going to be good. We're going to study the law and hypocrisy. It was the Pharisee who said, only God can forgive sins. 
Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. Let me tell you something very plainly. You see this cross right here? This crown of thorns that's on top of it? This is a representation of the cross that Jesus hung on. I didn't hang on that cross. You didn't hang on that cross. Not a single person in here said, I will die for the sins of all of mankind while those sinners that I'm dying for nail me to a tree. He did a very hard job. I don't care how hard you think your job is. This was a hard job. The hardest job. And by his hard work, by the hard work that Jesus did, he earned the authority to forgive all of mankind of their sins. And then he said, now that this authority is in me, I'm going to give it to you because you're an ambassador to do some kingdom business on this earth. But we say, who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus, you want to forgive people, you forgive them. I'm not about forgiving nobody. We, we, we take an authority that God has given us and we put it in our back pocket like a get out of hell free card, unwilling to share it with people as we watch them in the pit of their own guilt. Shame on us for doing that. Flip over to the book of John, chapter 20. Come on, I'm going to wrap up here real quick. Book of John, chapter 20, verse 19 to 23. This is after Jesus has done this hard job that he did, that I didn't do, he did it. He did a hard job. And he did a good job at it. He finished it all the way to completion. They put him in a grave. He was there for three days. He rose from the dead. He spent about a month with his disciples. And here in John 20, it gives us an account of one of those. One of the first times that they saw him, it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, they got that place on lockdown, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you, because they were freaking out. Last time they saw him, he was going in the tomb, and the door's locked, and he just walked through the wall. He's like, Hey, man, calm down. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, proved that he was who, who they thought he was. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. How many times you come to church and this guy's over here, he's singing, praising the Lord. And you're glad that you saw the Lord. You came to church and worship. Amen. And then he says, peace to you as the father has sent me. In other words, in the same way to do the same job in the same kind of business the father sent me to do. I'm going to send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he made a very interesting statement. He said, if you forgive the sins of any they are forgiven. But if you retain them, then you have retained them. Does that mean people that you're, not, that you're unwilling to forgive are not forgiven? No, we, the Bible says we have a high priest. They can go directly to God. They can go to directly to Jesus to receive forgiveness. But you know what? Sometimes they're sitting in front of you. Because God has called us into the ministry 
of reconciliation. Turn over to the book of James chapter 5 real quick. If the worship team would go ahead and come. I saw you guys moving around. If y'all would go ahead and come and play a little bit. Just a little worship. That would be fantastic. Listen, if I said to you right now, I want you to get out of your seats and I want you to go and hug the physical body of Jesus. The physical body that hung on the cross. If I said, I want you to go and hug that body right now, could you do it? You couldn't do it. The Bible says that the physical body of Jesus ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father praying for you, which is mind-boggling in and of itself. So whose physical body is here right now in this room? Pastor Sonny's here. Pastor Chris. Noah, he's here. Mimi's here. We're good, Mimi's here. Your physical body's here. Like it says in 2 Corinthians, almost like God, we're pleading with the world through us. Almost as like he's trying to win the world through us. We talk about Jesus come and do something. He's like, you're there. You do something. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You do something. I did a real hard job. I've imparted my authority and the power of the Holy Spirit in you. I'd like for you to do something people sit down in front of us sometimes and they say Chris I can't believe it man you weren't there when I was 18 I just thought I was driving a car next thing you know somebody's dead now I'm 45 and every day I see his face We say to them, let me comfort you like Joseph's brothers. And he says, I won't be comforted. How could I be comforted for that? For that thing? I know it's 22 years ago, but how could I be comforted for what I did? I was not falsely accused, you see. And maybe at best we say, well, let's pray. You've, you, you've made a confession. Let's pray. Oh God, please forgive this sorry sinner. That's how the Pharisees prayed. God, thank you that I'm not like that sorry sinner. What if we said, I'm an ambassador of the king of the universe. He's given me authority. And I want you to know in the name of Jesus, I forgive you. being Jesus with skin on but when it comes down to what people actually need sometimes we try to shuff off that skin what if we take it on we're not forgiving people in our name but what if we extend the forgiveness of Christ in the name of Christ on behalf of the work that he did James chapter 5 verse 13 to 16 you hear this prayed all the time in church especially in charismatic church the problem is we only read part of it read the whole thing it says if anyone among you is suffering let him pray is anyone cheerful let him sing psalms if anyone among you is sick let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins he will be forgiven 
confess your trespasses to one another like to each other like to each other and pray for one another that you might be healed the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much let's stand together for just a moment you guys are going through a big transition here change happens man sometimes when change happens it's a stress on our life and we start remembering back to the sins of our past sometimes when change happens we, we do things that we would normally have done because the stress we say things that this morning the word of the Lord is to be reconciled to God and to be reconcilers and I want to give you an opportunity for healing so here's what I want us to do this morning we're going to take just a minute this is a safe place this is your family I want you to I want you to look at that person next to you I want you to get with that person who's right there next to you find somebody who's right there go ahead real quick we're going to just take just a minute group of two or three doesn't have to be a lot group of two or three come on you can move out of your seat nobody's gonna bite you the donuts are out there they're not in here ain't nobody gonna bite you just group up a minute two or three the Bible says confess 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 for some of you maybe you're straight there's, there's, you're good you're, you're fine for some, I know, I know, Chris, I know. Some of you in here that have been hanging on to something for 22 years. It's been lingering around for a long time. Came up this morning, shaving my face, and I remember. I thought about it last night. About every 20 days, it pops up, and I'm, oh, I can't believe I did that. Look at that person. Don't look at me. Look at that person you're with group of two or three look at them look at them in the eyeballs you know they love God that person you're looking at loves God and they're not your enemy don't look at me look at them look at them these guys are gonna play just a little bit